Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. We all have dreams for where life is going and where we thought we'd be by now. At this age. At this stage. But what happens when life takes a detour? You hit a dead end you didn't see coming. You lose your job. A relationship goes south. Your health fails. Or a dream is lost. What happens when you find yourself stuck between the place you once were and the place you're trying to reach? Welcome to the Land Between. All right, hey, welcome Liquid Church, everyone. Glad you're joining us for the conclusion of our series, The Land Between. Can we give a big welcome to all of our other campuses joining us around New Jersey? Glad you're with us. Or if you're joining us online, welcome. Thrilled that you're here. Uh, hey, want to let you know that actually next week, I'm going to be starting a brand new series called Crosswalk, which really tracks the last 48 hours of Jesus's life as he journeys to the cross. And what does that mean for us Today, we, we're going to be kind of studying the passion of Christ in the weeks leading up to Easter. We're kind of in the season of Lent right now. And this new series, Crosswalk, promises to be very powerful, very Christ-centered. Hope that you'll invite a friend next Sunday when we kick that off. We're going to join Jesus on his journey to the cross leading up to Easter. But today, we take the final step in our journey through the land between, and we see the Israelites finally make it to the promised land. Hallelujah. All right, today's promised land day. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, most of the Israelites are actually in their 80s or 90s. Anybody in their 80s or 90s here today? You're here? You can't hear me, but can you? Are you here? <laughs> I'll start off with kind of a fun, fun joke about old age. You may have heard about uh, the 85-year-old man who went to his doctor for his annual checkup, and the doctor says, wow, 85, you're getting up there in years. How are you feeling? He says, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good, except every night I have to get up multiple times in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And the doctor said, well, you know, how often? He says, oh, sometimes six, seven times a night. But it's okay. God is good. The Lord provides. In fact, whenever I get up to go, God turns the light on. And when I'm done going, God turns the light off. And the doctor says, really? Okay. And he calls the man's wife and says, you know, your husband's actually in pretty good shape. He says, God's helping him. When he goes to the bathroom at night, he, God turns the light on. And when he's done, God turns the light off. And his wife puts her hand on her hips. And she goes, you old fool, have you been peeing in the refrigerator again? Have you? <laughs> Growing old is fun, isn't it? If you're, if you're in your 80s, okay, don't, don't email me on uh, Net, you know, Netscape or AOL, whatever it is you use. Don't, don't do that. Uh, hey, today you are going to be inspired by one of my favorite older heroes in the Bible, a guy by the name of Caleb. Can we all say his name? Caleb. He's one of Israelites, Israel's oldest warriors. And today we're going to share a message that I'm calling the spirit of Caleb. And if you're younger, I really hope you're going to be inspired by this man uh, to ask yourself like, man, am I growing into the kind of man or woman of God who kind of uh, lives this life of courage and faith and strength, even in very tough times. And if you're older, uh, Christian, I'll just say more mature believer, you're going to be challenged. 
because Caleb kind of is going to show us that in God's kingdom, there's no such thing as retirement. There's no such thing as retirement. Believers are not supposed to fade out, but finish strong in their faith, strong in wisdom and spiritual vitality. And Caleb is going to model for all of us what it means to leave a legacy for the next generation. So you can open your Bible to the book of Numbers, chapter 13, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book in the uh, Old Testament. It's called Numbers for a simple reason. God actually says, Moses, I want you to number the people. I count them. Take a census. That's where they get numbers from. And God says, I want you to number the men who can serve in the army. Here's why. You're going to have to fight your way into the promised land. Uh, if you are, uh, want a quick review, you're finding Numbers 13. If you remember, the Israelites were in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. God says, I'm going to bring you out. He does. Plagues on Pharaoh. Leads them through the Red Sea. And they begin this journey to the promised land, right, known as Canaan. Anybody know why it was called the promised land? It was promised by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this little journey should have taken them through the desert about a month, maybe even three weeks, as short as three weeks. And it's incredible because anytime God leads his people on a journey, what we realize is sometimes there are detours. At first, the Israelites run out of water. God provides a miracle. He turns bitter water into sweet water. Then they run out of bread. God provides miracle bread, manna from heaven. Then they run out of water again. And all of a sudden, a journey that should have taken, you know, a month starts taking, drags into days and weeks and, and years even. And there's this pattern. Do you see it? This pattern of a crisis followed by complaint and then provision. Crisis, complaint, provision. Crisis, complaint, provision. It goes on and on and on. The people are like, God, why would you, if you said we're going here, why would you let these things happen? That's what happens with detours in our life. When anything unexpected happens in your life, you come to an unexpected turn. You lose your job. Your career doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. Someone you love gets sick or a relationship dries up. We find our faith often goes into a crisis, and we find ourselves in this area called the land between, meaning you can't go back to your past but the future is now in question. And like the Israelites, your heart can turn bitter. You can start grumbling, say, God, did you bring me out here to kill me? And we all are like, hey, I'm going to go back to Egypt. Get me out of here. I just want to go back. But we're learning that God never takes his followers into the desert to kill us. God is not a sadist. But he takes us there to teach us, to train us. That's what the land between is. It's wilderness training where God does some of his deepest work in our heart, teaching us to trust him even in tough times. When we see him provide in every crisis, our trust in his faithfulness grows deeper, that God can use anything, even this detour in your life, for your good and for his glory. Even, even your career detour. You guys had listed a number of different detours. These are some from all the campuses. This guy wrote, my company has decided to move. I have no clue where they will go or if I should stay. The uncertainty is killing me. Career detour. Relationship detour. I'm starting this year divorced and lost. I need to find my way. Lots of relationship ones. I'm single, feeling frustrated, haven't found my soulmate yet. How much longer, God, right? I'm in the desert. Uh, this year, my family's facing a monumental detour in the form of cancer. My uh, wife was diagnosed in November. This trial's testing our whole family. I'm financial detour. I'm facing bankruptcy, loss of income, maybe our home. This one was interesting. This person wrote, we're new to liquid, but our family had a bad experience at our previous church. And we feel like we've been wandering in the desert for some time. We miss serving. We want to settle down and find a spiritual home. But the wounds make us hesitant. Pray for guidance. Again, I want to thank you for your transparency because these really are holy ground. This is 
part of your journey. And one of our goals is that church is a safe place to be honest and real and heal if you need to. So if, if you have taken a big step, even by just saying, hey, I need help, I can't travel this road alone, guess what? You weren't meant to. That's why God gives us each other. He sets us in his church, which is not a collection of perfect people, but fellow travelers who can actually identify with each other's struggles, with weaknesses. And in that moment, we actually not only accept and support each other, we learn to trust God together on this journey. So thank you for sharing your weakness. In this church, this is a sign of strength, and I'm thrilled you're on the journey with us. But today, I want you to see what happens at the tail end of the land between which hopefully is going to encourage you to take a step forward into the promised land in your life. As Numbers 13 opens, let me set the scene. The Israelites are actually camped on the edge of Canaan. They've traveled pretty far, and they're only 11 miles from the promised land. So they're literally on the doorstep of, of the land of milk and honey, and God says, hey, I want to give you a sneak peek. You want to see what's inside? I want to show you how sweet this land is. So God tells Moses to send some spies or some scouts to kind of case out Canaan and see what's inside. Here's what he says. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. So Moses goes out and he picks 12 men. You know why? 12 tribes of Israel. So he picks one man from each tribe, including a guy named Caleb. And there's another guy named Joshua. And Moses gives these instructions in verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, are there few or many? What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What, what kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. In other words, he says, go give me a report. Give me a scouting report. He sends these 12 guys out to case the promised land, and they look through Canaan, and he's like, because there's people in there. He's like, are, there, are they big or are they small? Are there few or are there many? Is it good or is it bad? Can you grow stuff there? So Caleb and the 11 other spies sneak into Canaan, and guess how long they're there? Watch this. Watch. Get ready. They're there for 40 days, checking out the land, and they're coming back with a report, and here's the report they gave. They came back to Moses and gave this account. We went into the land into which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Look, here is its fruit. In other words, guys, it's just like God promised. This place is sweet. It's incredible. And as evidence in verse 23, it says this. They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. How big? Two of them carried it on a pole between them. In other words, they're like, dude, it's wine country, right? The grapes are huge. You know, it's flooded with land, milk, and Zinfandel, right? You know, milk, honey, Zinfandel. And uh, the people must have been pumped. They're like, woo, the dream's alive. God's doing what he promised to take us in here, you know, and everything. But, get ready, there's always a but. Whenever you look in the Bible, look for the big but. Watch this. But the people who live there are, what's the word? Powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. In other words, the grapes are big, but the people are bigger. And so are the walls. The scholars estimate that the walls uh, in Canaan were 25 feet high, 20 feet thick, with enemy troops on each wall. And they go, there's a bunch of them. Here's what they say. The Amalekites live there. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all the ites <laughs> live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea. 
and along the Jordan. In other words, uh, just one problem. The place is crawling with the enemies of Israel. Talk about a buzzkill, right? It's the promised land, but it's not a cakewalk. We're going to actually have to fight our way in. And you can imagine the joy just kind of draining from the people. When all of a sudden, a guy stands up and steps forward, a guy named Caleb. And here's what he says in verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, Now, we should go up and take possession of the land for what? Say it together. We can certainly do it. So all of a sudden, two different reports. Ten of the spies are like, no way, too hard, we're going to get our butts kicked. But Caleb, and then later Joshua, says, no, 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 we can totally do this. God promised this place to us. He has been leading us and providing every step of the way. And with his help, we can totally take them. Let's go, boys. The land's ours. Now, this is at a crossroads moment. Do we step into the dream that God has for our destiny or not? This is a pivotal moment. And it all turns on verse 31, which says this. But the men who'd gone up with Caleb said, no, 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 no. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a what? Say this together. A bad report about the land they had explored. Life is full of bad reports, isn't it? I mean, literally, sometimes it's a literal report. A test comes back from the doctor, and you know what? I'm sorry, it doesn't look good. It's, it's literally a bad report. Or your, your child comes home from school, or you get an email from the child study team, and they're like, you know what? The, the evaluation came back. Your child has major learning disabilities. Bad report. Bad reports are common in our culture. You just live long enough. Just watch the nightly news, right? This is the worst job market in a generation, and you have to find a job in it. Ding! Thanks for that, <laughs> right? At some point, the truth is, we all get a bad report in our lives that's intimidating, that makes you feel small or scared. But notice the timing of this bad report. When does this bad report come for God's people? Not the start of the journey. It's when they're literally on the doorstep of God's dream for their lives. In other words, the promised land is this, this place of divine destiny and their journey with God. God's promised them good. You're land flowing with milk and honey, huge blessings. And over and over the desert, he says, see, I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to show you my provision. Even when it gets rocky, he leads them out of slavery into this desolate desert. And then he says, I'm feeding you the whole way. And yet, when they're on the doorstep, they're ready to take that last step of faith into their divine destiny. Up, ah, they stop. They get a bad report. And this is a warning to any of us, okay? If you identify with this journey, anytime you step out in faith to take hold of the destiny or that God, the dream God has for your life, you need to expect enemy opposition. There will always be negative voices that the enemy uses to try to intimidate you. They said, the land we explored, it, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of, of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You're like, what, what is this about? Who's the Nephilim? This is kind of weird. Just track with this. The Nephilim were an ancient race of giants, kind of half giant, half kind of man, who were on the earth prior to the flood, okay? And scholars estimate that the Nephilim, they've actually done archaeology, were probably somewhere between seven feet tall and nine feet tall. This is the tribe where Goliath comes from. This is the tribe where LeBron James comes from. Okay, let's go that way. They're like, the land's full of giants, and we feel like grasshoppers. In other words, 
the, the obstacles are so big it makes us feel small by comparison. That's the power of a bad report. The 10 spies were just blown away by the size of the giants standing in their way. They're like, the enemies are too big for us. And they spread among the people a bad report about the land they had explored. And everyone starts having second thoughts. The bad report actually paralyzes them. Watch this. You know what happens next. You know it. All the Israelites, what's the word? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, come on, let's use our whiny voice. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our kids will be taken as plunder. Here we go, ready? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, yeah, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. <laughs> Have we been here before? <laughs> it's Groundhog Day, right? Over and over, God is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Each time they're like, no way, no how. Let's go back to Egypt. They are on the doorstep of freedom. They said, we'd rather have slavery than get slaughtered. Think about this. What's the overwhelming spirit? The spirit of fear is bigger than their faith. And the truth is, whenever you're on the threshold of something, and you're about to make a significant change in your life. Maybe God's been prompting you. You're on this journey, and he's prompting you to change careers or to move to a new state. It is so easy to forget God's faithfulness and instead magnify our fears. I, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to work. I, I got a bad report. Maybe we'll die. Maybe God's not in this. Maybe he doesn't know where he's taking us. This surprises so many Christians because Christianity gets sold to you like, give your life to Christ. It's just going to be smooth sailing. Ha! How does a Christian life really work, right? Yeah. Salvation happens in an instant. Jesus cancels your sin. You're free from the guilt and shame of sin. You start this journey, but all of a sudden, <laughs> things start getting rocky. Surprise, the Christian life is not a cakewalk. It's a war zone, right? Something, stuff happens that you're like, wait, the, the, the Christian life, I thought it was going to be smooth sailing and my best life now. And The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. The Christian life, I'll say it again, is not a playground. It's a battleground. And when you come to a crossroads moment, you get to make a choice. Will I believe the bad report and stay stuck in fear? Or will I step out in faith and enter into the next chapter that God has for my life? And see, guys, this is the secret. As a follower of Christ, it's never about the size of your detour. It's about the size of your God. Do you serve a big God or a small God? Is your God all-powerful or is he puny like a grasshopper? The Israelites still don't trust that God will come through for them. And this wave of panic goes through the camp. They actually debate going back into bondage. And you know what? I'll just be honest. Some Christians today, honestly, not much different. A little bit of discomfort, a few trials, things go up and down, a few dry spells, and all of a sudden we're ready to retreat. Listen, if you identify and you are on the threshold of a new chapter in your life, understand something. God will never force you to enter the promised land. He will simply give you a choice. Do you stay stuck in fear or do you step out in faith? That's the choice some of you are literally facing today right now. As you wrestle with a bad report that's blocking your path, do you simply accept and receive this in fear or do you push past it in bold faith that believing no matter what happens, it's okay because God said he will be with me every step of the way. Now, I'll admit, listen, I'm not, I'm not like trying to make you feel guilty or like shame you for feeling weak or something. When a bad report comes in, it is very easy to feel overwhelmed and intimidated. Just ask Dan and Danielle Salyards. Salyards are a young couple in our congregation. 
who had a dream of starting a family, and many do. That was their promised land. And everything was going smoothly on their journey until they literally received a series of bad reports that left them feeling fearful, but ultimately God used them to transform their faith. Check this out. We um, received a bad report when we had been trying to get pregnant um, for about a year. Um, and we went to see a fertility specialist. And it turns out medically uh, that uh, it was gonna be really hard for us to get pregnant naturally. So we, um, we had treatment and it did work. Um, but uh, at the at around 12 weeks, actually the week before Christmas, uh, we found out we miscarried. We had been praying that whole time. Uh, I had just kind of come into faith with God and Jesus. And uh, so when we found out that it actually wasn't God's plan, uh, it, was, it was really sad. We were devastated. During that time, we, um, I felt like we really drew closer to God. We prayed every day with a purpose because Pastor Tim said to, um, to do it with a purpose, with a goal in mind, and our goal was obviously to, to conceive. Even though, and around that time, we were undergoing our second round of, of, of treatment, and um, God showed up big because after we got baptized, it was shortly after that that we, we found out we were pregnant with twins. And then we kept praying, exceed our expectations. And then we found out we were pregnant with a boy and a girl. And it was just like, he kept topping himself. And um, it, was, it was amazing. And we were so happy, they're so beautiful, and everything was great. You know, we thought we were at our promised land. We thought we had, we had, we had gotten there. And uh, it was at the age of six months that we found out at a routine checkup that our son uh, was diagnosed with uh, stage four neuroblastoma, which is a form of cancer. Um, I've been a pediatric nurse um, in the ICU, pediatric ICU for eight years. And um, so I've actually seen a lot of cancer um, and I've seen a lot of sadness. And um, I've taken care of kids with this particular type of cancer who have not made it. And um, so when Jake was diagnosed with this cancer, I immediately went back to those experiences and I, I said, that's it, we're gonna lose him. So when the doctor went in for the surgery, uh, it, despite it being everywhere, it wasn't as aggressive as they originally thought. Um, and then from that moment on with his treatment, we just kept getting good reports. So despite that it was in his liver and his lymph nodes and is in a, near his aorta, the doctor was able to remove most of the tumor. And then it turned out he only needed uh, a couple low doses of chemo. So in the midst of Jake's cancer treatment, um, we were watching the London Olympics. We're sitting on the couch and Dan wants to order buffalo wings and um, offers me a buffalo wing and I said, no way, I think I'm gonna vomit from the smell. And she got up and we happened to have a pregnancy test left over from the twins. And I was totally unaware. And she comes out of the bathroom, I'm like eating food and watching TV, and she says, I'm pregnant. I just, we were just like, what? That's not possible. And I just remembered like after the shock, like this is, this is how God's answering our prayer. We spent a season in the land between, but we feel that God has taken us um, out of there 
Um, we have better relationships now um, than when we were going through the hard times. We, um, Jake is completely healthy. The oncologist says, say he's out of the woods. Um, he goes for MRIs every, actually he went for his last MRI a couple of months ago and um, they're not even gonna follow him anymore. He kept showing up and it just got to the point where I was like, I cannot logically explain any of this. And he has answered every prayer and it's not coincidence, it's real. And um, so when we got out of our land between, um, that was it. I mean, that was that sold me, and uh, it's it solidified my faith completely. Can we thank the Salyards and God for His crazy provision in a really tough series of tests? Again, I don't know what your journey looks like, but the Salyards had a dream. They wanted to start a family. That that was their that was their promised land. But then they received not one, not two, but three bad reports: infertility, miscarriage, neoblastoma. That is a scary situation for anybody. But in spite of their fears, what was God doing? He was forging this deeper level of faith that I would suggest couldn't come any other way. See, when you face a crossroads, you have a choice as a follower of Jesus. Do you respond with fear and stay crippled and paralyzed, or do you step out in faith? The truth is this. There's a very thin line between faith and fear. I want you to think about this. What's the, definition of, what's the definition of fear? Watch this. This is kind of interesting. Fear is basically believing what hasn't happened yet will come true. I'm going to the doctors for a test, and I just know they're going to come back with bad news. The test could be positive. It's genetic. It's only my family. I'm going to die young. Fear is believing what hasn't happened yet will come true one day. Now, what's the definition of faith? Same exact thing. It's believing what hasn't happened yet will come true. You know what? I have no reason to worry about that report because my Father in heaven is totally in control. And he is going ahead of me and he has promised good to me. And you know what? He's going to be with me no matter what the report is. He's numbered my days. Every hair in my head is numbered. And he's going to use any of the stuff he will use for my good and his glory. I may be facing a giant in my path, but it's not going to block my view of God because my God is bigger and better than any bad report. Amen? You may not have a job yet. The healing may not have come yet. You may not be out of debt yet. But I believe with God, all things are possible. Amen? With Christ, all things are possible. And God can provide exactly what you need, not in your timing, but in his perfect timing. Isn't that interesting? Fear and faith share the exact same definition. And in Numbers 14, the Israelites choose fear. And it literally paralyzes them, except for two men, Caleb and Joshua who step up and step forward in faith. And this is what the voice of faith sounds like. Joshua and Caleb, who are among those who explored the land, tore their clothes. They're like, not again. <laughs> and said to the entire Israelite assembly, no, no. The land we passed through and explored is what? Say it together. Exceedingly good. If the Lord is with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will what? Give it to us. So do not... Be afraid of the people of the land because we're going to swallow them up. Their protection is gone. Say it together. But the Lord is with us, so do not be afraid of them. I love the spirit of Caleb. I love the courage of Caleb, the faith of Caleb. He's like, you know what? Haters going to hate, all right? Quakers going to quake. But if God is with us, we have nothing to fear, amen? 
This isn't our battle. You see the giants? If God's going with us, we're going to eat them alive. He promised us, and no giant is going to stand the way of this grasshopper, no matter how big and bad the report. My God is bigger and badder and greater. The Lord's with us. Don't be afraid. Guys, this is the kind of courageous faith you have to take hold of. It is vital if you're going to step into the divine destiny God has for your life. If you are on the edge of the promised land, notice Caleb and Joshua didn't look at the size of their fears, but they looked at the size of their God. It's all about the size of your God. Who's bigger, God or your giant? What voice are you listening to? The voice of fear or the voice of faith? To me, the spirit of Caleb is so inspiring. If, you, if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I've been tracking. I'm in the land between. I do feel like I'm on the threshold of a big move in my life. What does it mean <laughs> to respond with the spirit of faith? You know, step out. Let me give you a real-world example. A friend of mine, right in this congregation, stopped me after the service last Sunday. He's a very successful corporate executive, kind of a heavy hitter in the world of retail. Within the same company for 35 years, you know the company instantly. And the week before the land between started, he said, Tim, is crazy, like literally I got called in by my boss. He said, we're restructuring the company and we're letting you go. No warning. No even like, can you try another role? Just like that. He goes, three and a half decades of working for them. And now I'm just out in the wilderness. And obviously he was stunned. He was surprised. And he said, what's worse is he said, you know, my boss was never comfortable with my kind of faith-filled leadership. He's very outspoken about his faith in God. He, he t- talks about Christ in the, in the marketplace. He said, that may have been a factor in me, you know, leaving. And he's got friends who are like, man, you need to sue them. And so I, I was talking to him, and I was, I'll be honest, guys, I was just like shocked by his response because I expected him to be kind of angry, discouraged, you know, or worried. He's got kids who are going into college. I said, but you know what, Tim? God's got this. I really believe that. I was like, really? <laughs> he's like, Tim, I have to look back on 35 years. And I would never be where I am in my career if I didn't believe God was with me every single step of the way, and he's brought me too far to leave me on the doorstep. God's got this. And suddenly he's preaching to me. (laughs) Because he had every right to be angry or discouraged, but he's like, no, you know what? It's a new opportunity. I'm going to rebrand myself, you know, go into something new. And all of his friends have these negative opinions, you know, this is a terrible job, Mark. You got to sue these guys. That's the voice of fear. Remember what what the spies spoke. It was all negative, right? The giants are too big. The walls are too tall. We can't do this. That's the negative voice of fear. And Caleb's like, I disagree. If God is with us, we can do this. There's nothing to fear. He chooses this positive outlook of faith over the negative voices of fear. And that's what my friend is doing. Obviously, there, there's an obvious loss, a sense of you know, sadness and grief that comes with loss. But he's intentionally choosing a spirit of faith over listening to the fears of others. He says, I'm not trusting their voices. I trust the voice of God. And instead of having a midlife crisis, he's actually modeling a midlife courage for his whole family. His boys are watching. And guys, it's that kind of wholehearted trust in God that distinguishes the Caleb's from the cowards. Watch. Here's what God says in Numbers 14 about Caleb. This is key. Because my servant Caleb has a what? Different spirit. In other words, he is different than all the rest of them. He follows me how? Wholeheartedly. God says, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. This is key, guys. Wholehearted literally means what? It's the opposite of half-hearted. Wholehearted means I am all in. I am totally committed. If we're going down, we're going down in flames big time. We're going down swinging. Half-hearted says, you know what? I'm not so sure, and I'm willing to compromise. Let me show you what wholehearted means. 
I had a guy come up to me from another campus who is, uh, he has been starting his whole life with alcohol addiction. And he said, Tim, I joined AA last month. I was like, dude, that is awesome. We celebrate a huge step in his journey to freedom, right? He's like, I'm leaving Egypt. I'm leaving the slavery of addiction to alcohol. And he said, but honestly, Tim, I didn't know it'd be this hard. I said, tell me what you mean. He goes, like, the first few days was, like, totally liberating. I was like, but then, like, a couple weeks, like, 14 days into my journey, so my old friends show up, and they're like, dude, that's great for you, man. Now you're clean and sober. Let's go out for a beer to celebrate. <laughs> Come back to Egypt. And he said, Tim, it's like I heard this voice in my head. You're never going to make it. Where did that voice come from? Yeah. That's the voice of your enemy. He's, he's taking steps towards the promise of God, towards freedom and sobriety, and he hears, you're never going to make it. Come back to Egypt. See, anytime you're on the threshold of taking new territory for God, Satan is going to tempt you with a voice of compromise. Compromise. You're, you're a single woman, and you're like, you know what? I'm committed to God's you know, uh, principles of sexual purity before marriage. But your girlfriend's like, no way. No guy's going to date a girl who's got, honestly, who doesn't put out. That's what they tell you. And sometimes at night, you're like, you know what? I'm, maybe I'm going to wind up alone. You know, in a studio apartment with nine cats, I'm going to be all alone. Like, you know, it's like... <laughs> right? Where's that voice coming from? Satan is called the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. And that's one of the ways you know it's your enemy's voice and not God's. Because anything that is fear-based or shaming or intimidating, that comes from the father of lies, not your father in heaven. Amen? So you got to embrace who you are as a child of God. You have so much freedom. <laughs> you have to live out of that identity. And when Christ comes into your life, he says, I'm not promising you a smooth road. I just promise you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we can trust the Father together that he'll work all things together for good. Want proof? Look at the cross. Nothing is impossible. God has promised you hope in a future, and it's not based on your strength, but on God's. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God's looking for wholehearted followers who are fully committed. So don't make a half-hearted compromise when you're on the doorstep of your destiny. The 10 spies make this compromise. They fail to take the final step. And this is so tragic. This is like the saddest part of the story. You know how the, how the land between ends? I'd like to tell you, at this moment, everyone came to their senses and said, you know what? We should listen to Caleb. But Numbers 14, 10 says this. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> that would be a no, okay? And because the Israelites... They chose fear over faith. Guess what happens? They literally come to a dead end in their journey with God. Dead end. They die in the desert on the doorstep of God's dream for them. God gets so tired of their grumbling. The Lord said, I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, I'll do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except for who? Caleb and Joshua. In other words, God's like, you choose half-hearted fear over wholehearted faith, then I hope you like the desert. I can't take you any farther. And he literally puts a giant do not enter sign on the promised land. And it's one thing to explore the land for 40 days, but why were they stuck in the desert for 40 years? You ever wonder why 40 years? Here's what God says. 
Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your body lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. 40 years is fitting in the land between. One year for every one of the 40 days that they explored the land. In the Old Testament, basically 40 years was thought to represent a generation. In other words, God's like, an entire generation has to die off before a new one can rise and take their place and actually enter the promised land with a spirit of faith and trust in me. Isn't that tragic? Out of 600,000 Israelites, not one made it out alive except for Caleb and Joshua. Why? God's answer? Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly and I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Guys, this is the difference between finishing strong in the faith and falling short. An entire generation dies on the doorstep of God's dream. They're 11 miles away, people, but they die on the doorstep of the promised land. And you know what? Same thing happens in our generation, doesn't it? I know so many Christians who spend their best years, the prime of their life, doing donuts in the desert, stuck in circles because they're like, I can't trust God with my whole life, a little bit of it, half-hearted faith, but they live in fear. Can I ask, is that you? Are you here today? And you didn't just realize, you're just having a moment, you're having an epiphany. You're like, I am in danger of dying on the wrong side of God's dream for my life. Maybe you're at a crossroads moment. You know exactly what God's asking you to do. He's saying, trust me, follow me into this new season. But you have recently received a bad report. And now you're wavering. Maybe I trust him. Maybe I don't. Follow, turn back. Listen, in every generation, there are cowards and there are Caleb's. Cowards and Caleb's, every generation, every church. And God says, I'm looking for believers with the spirit of Caleb. Men and women, young and old, doesn't matter the age, who are just have enough craziness to take God at his word, count the cost, pick up their cross, and confront the enemy head on in the strength and power of God himself. That's faith. I don't know what crossroads you've come to today. Maybe God is calling you somewhere. Maybe he's asking you to pack up your tent and take your family. You're setting out for new territory, a new assignment. And it's scary to you because it means leaving behind what's familiar and what's comfortable and taking this road less traveled. And you're like looking into it and you're like, it could be exceedingly good, could be positive. Ah, but there's a bad report. The giants, the tigers, the bears. Oh my, right? But you hear that voice of faith saying, take that step. Trust me, is this your Caleb moment? Will you follow God wholeheartedly wherever he leads? I am not promising it will be easy or that things will just go smooth or that you won't face hard choices. In fact, in fact, you may have to sacrifice something very near and dear to your heart. But listen, it is the wisest decision you will ever make. Because it was the spirit of Caleb that led a brand new generation into the promised land and taught them to finish strong in their faith. What does that look like? To finish strong as opposed to falling short. I want to leave you with this picture. I want to fast forward 40 years from this moment. See, Caleb was 40 years old when he explored Canaan. And at this moment in the Bible, an entire generation has passed. He's actually an old man. I got my cane here. Caleb's an old man. And in Joshua 14, 
Caleb is 85 years old when we see him next after Numbers. And he's 85, and he's a grandpa. And to me, this is like the most inspiring snapshot of what it means to finish strong in the faith. I imagine Caleb kind of saying, gather around, kids, you know, the kids, grandchildren, come on. Come listen to your grandpa. Tell the story of the land between. And here's what Caleb says. Listen. I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. In other words, he's teaching the next generation about the promises of God. This is my favorite part. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years while Israel moved about in the wilderness. See, here I am today. I'm 85 years old, right? Imagine all the kids going, happy birthday, Grandpa, you know. And I want you to imagine this. Caleb looks down, and he breathes deep. And with this fire in his eyes, he says, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle as I was now, as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. You yourself have heard that their cities were large and fortified, but watch this, watch this. With the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out, just as he said. Let me at them, let me at them. Where are my teeth? Let me at them, kids. <laughs> this is not an old man going quietly into that good night. Caleb is 85 years old, and instead of fading into the sunset, there's this fire in his belly. There's this unwavering faith. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. There's still giants to fight. There are enemies opposing the promises of God. See, Caleb was faithful at the start, and Caleb was faithful to the finish. 45 years later, he still had the fighting spirit that said, we can do this, kids. Let's claim the land that God promised your grandpa. You're going to face new giants, but don't be afraid. Give me the hill country. With the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out, just as he said. Is that inspiring to you? At 85 years old, that God still had work for him to do. And Caleb was still eager to do it. It's such a corrective to our culture. Because our culture, we celebrate the young and the strong and the beautiful. And often, honestly, we ignore the elderly. We're like, what are they going to do? No, no. In God's kingdom, blessed are the saints who finish strong who are spirit-filled to the end. And it's the older people in this congregation, guys, who you are filled with wisdom that comes from experience. And if you're an older believer in our church, you're over 65 years old, we are so blessed to have you. Our church needs you. We need you to help lead us because your wisdom, your maturity, you're an example of finishing strong with a faith like Caleb, like Edna Klein. You guys know Edna? Edna's one of our volunteer staff at our Union County campus. She turned 81 years young this week. I'd say, like, let's all sing happy birthday, but Edna's going to be so upset that I told you her age. <laughs> so keep this between us. Don't tell her, okay? I told you, all right? As I thought about Caleb, you know, turning 85 years old, I thought of Edna. Because Edna's worked with, walked with the Lord for decades. She has, like, amazing stories of faith to tell of how faithful God was in difficult situations. But every week I see her in the office. She comes and she volunteers with a whole army of other uh, folks who volunteer, get materials ready for the weekend. And she's full of this, like, joy and this fire. She loves to laugh, and most importantly, she loves to pray with people. On Sundays, Edna helps lead the spiritual care team at her campus. And she is, like, one of the most powerful prayer warriors. 
She has this way, you know when people pray and they're like, in Jesus' name, I cast, you know, she's like, whoa. When I, when I start like feeling sick, I take airborne and I get Edna to pray for me, okay? Because Edna's been there. She has been through many tests in her life that have turned into testimonies of God's goodness and his love. And we are blessed to have Edna and Pat and so many other saints lead us in the Lord. Let me tell you, we're a younger church. We turned nine years old this Easter and we need your wisdom and maturity and faith from older followers of Christ who spent a lifetime walking with the Lord. So if you're 65 years or older, let Caleb inspire you. In God's kingdom, there is no retirement age. There is still territory to conquer. There's still generations to inspire. And whether you're young or old, this is the application for you. Don't die like the Israelites. On the doorstep of God's dream for their generation, they were this close when their journey came to a dead end. Don't fall short like the Israelites. Finish strong like Caleb. Amen? Can I ask you this question? Where will you be in 40 years? I will be in my 80s. Here's my question. In 40 years, will you have a story to tell? Or will you be stuck in the same place doing donuts in the wilderness? Today, if you can identify and you're walking through the land between, maybe this is your Caleb moment. Maybe this is the moment that you actually say, you know what? I am going to follow God wholeheartedly today. No half-hearted anymore. A little bit of Jesus. Don't miss this moment. If God is talking to you, this may be your Caleb moment. And you know what you say? I'm going to push past my fear and put my faith fully in Christ for the first time. Or maybe you're like, I'm just returning to church, and I need to rededicate my life to Christ. If that's you, I want to pray for you. In fact, I want everybody to stand up. Would you stand to your feet, all of our campuses right now, for prayer? Stand up right where you are. Would you bow your heads with me? All heads bowed. All heads are bowed. We're going to pray. And if you're here today and you're like, holy smokes, God is speaking to me. I am at a crossroads moment, and I need the faith of Caleb. Would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Put your hand up right where you are if you can identify. Thank you. Tons of hands, dozens of hands. I'm going to pray for you right now. Open your hands to the Lord. Bow your head. Just put them up right where you are. Let me pray. Father God, we're opening our hands and lifting them up as a symbol of opening our heart. Father God, right now, would you come manifest yourself through the Holy Spirit? Father God, speak into the hearts of your children. You are not alone. I am leading you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Father God, right now in our hearts, we're saying yes. We trust you fully. Father God, right now, would you even, um, I pray that you would cancel out the voice of the enemy. Any voices of fear or shame that would keep your sons and daughters paralyzed, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we cancel that power. And we ask now for a spirit of faith, of wholehearted faith to follow you wherever you lead. Again, all heads bowed. If you're here today and you're like, I need that power right now, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you want to rededicate your life to Christ, this is a moment to do that. You can just pray silently inside. You can just pray after me, Jesus Christ, come into my heart. I open my heart and give it fully to you. You can just pray these words. Thank you for dying for my sins and being raised to life for my future. I give my life to you and will follow you all of my days. Father God, people who are committing to you right now, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Let them know that they've been adopted into your family through faith in your son, Jesus. 
We ask, Father God, that this would be a year of transformation, a year of breakthrough, a year that people are laying hold of the promises and the destiny you have for their families. We ask that you do it for our good and for your glory. And everybody said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.